Welcome to another episode of Wicked Smart. I'm your host, Lucas Bean. I got my co-host over here, BC Bread from NFT Now. Our special guest today is Bored Elon Musk. Welcome to the stage, my friend. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Did did Twitter change things where you can't see all the listeners below a certain amount? I have just no things every hour. Yeah, I have no idea what Twitter is like. I used to have a direct line in the Twitter, but these guys are I don't know if you saw they just like laid off another 10 percent of their work staff. They're now below two. I think they're around 2000 employees or something like that. So it's getting Man. less and less. Yeah. Last time I talked to them, they cut resources for Twitter spaces and they cut uh, resources working on like the monetization part of Twitter. So I have no idea like what's going on just because they're, they're kind of stressed out, but man, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. I know we talked, I think we talked at the end of August uh, last year, but you're back and uh, you know, or um, how you doing? You're good. I'm good. I'm living life. On you, the sound like, you sound like, you sound like, you sound like you're very caffeinated. I like it. <laughs> I'm <It's>, 86% <laughs> through the coffee. Uh, <laughs> Same. I'm like 90. That's awesome. Hey, so real quick, we usually do like a, a market like sentiment and uh, report from Mintify in the morning here. So let's run through that real quick. Mintify, this is your chance, my man. Take it away. Hey, how's it going? Uh, good. good morning to everybody. Good evening and good night. <laughs> yeah, that too. Exactly. All right. Uh, let's roll through this market report. Hit it. The 24-hour Ethereum uh, market volume, 24.58 million, up 22% from yesterday. The Solana market volume, 2.42 million down, 12.6%. Highest sale was Azuki 1582 for 200 ETH. You can try out our uh, new beta terminal at trade.mintify.xyz. The top gaining index, top 20 metaverse, up 3%. This one is especially volatile. It's almost always in either one of the top or uh, top gainers or losers. Led by Cretera land, 0.57 ETH floor price up 30%. Fluff World Burrows, 0.2338 ETH floor price up 2%, and Zana Metaverse Land, 0.35 ETH floor price up a modest 0.3%. The top losing index, top 20 art, actually up 0.1%, led by The Harvest, 5.27 ETH floor price down 11%, Friendship Bracelets, 0.25 ETH floor price down 7%, and Checks VV Edition. 1.968 ETH floor price down 3%. Some noteworthy market updates. Crypto Slam will be removing or is removing $577 million worth of blur volume from its data due to, quote, market manipulation. Vitalik says more still needs to be done over Ethereum gas fees. And the SEC is probing Robinhood's crypto desk, looking for evidence of commingled funds. The market stats, global crypto market cap, 1056.9 billion. Bitcoin dominance, 42.3%. BTC open interest, 7.57 billion. And fear and greed, pretty neutral at 50. It's actually been hovering right around this area for the past week or so. With uh, Bitcoin at 23.710, up just a little over 1%. Ethereum, 1657, up 1.3%. And the S&P, 39.80 or so, up about 0.14% on the day. That is all. Thank you very much. That was the fastest market up update ever. That was really interesting. Was it? All yeah, right. that was good. I like it. Um, you're getting you're very getting very concise, or maybe there just wasn't a lot of news. Either way, 
huge win, man. Great, great work. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So here he is bored Elon, everybody. Um, this guy I've been following for years. Okay. So long before there was ever a web three and NFT space, I was following bored Elon. He's always been an interesting character. I was lucky enough to kind of like over the last two, two and a half years, like get to know him. He's actually a really, really decent, awesome dude. Very, very much trusted in the space as someone that's really good in the Web3 gaming space, but also in the Web2 space, even though those two terms are marketing is marketing jargon. But I guess it's good to, uh, you know, like hone in on like what, what we're focusing on here today. But man, Bored Elon, um, tell us like a little bit how you I know. I know we've talked about this before, and I'm sure you've talked about probably about this on countless shows but you know, with a new audience, people now listening in you know different ways with us, let's uh, let's go through the inception of board Elon Musk one more time uh, to to give the audience like like hey, how did you come up with the idea, and like what who is the person behind the obviously the board Elon like not going into details where you get docs, but like what like what your past and stuff like that is and into this because everybody, I don't think everybody knows who you are. <laughs> I'll give you the the speed run version. Sure, as gamers say um, <laughs> sounds good. So. Yeah, so basically kind of living two parallel identities for a while um, that have oddly merged like, like lately. Bat- like Batman, right? Like Batman, yeah. Um, <laughs> one one might be a billionaire, the other isn't, uh, fighting the Joker on Twitter. <laughs> a lot of Jokers on Twitter, actually. That's um, so true, so true. <laughs> so uh, it's coming up on 10 years uh, in August since I started the, the Bored Elon Musk account. Um, I was uh, in, real, in the real world, always kind of a creative writer, loved comedy, um, Worked in marketing, but but always had a passion for that. So, uh, Bored Elon Musk was a parody account that I created. That was my tenth attempt at creating a, a parody account. I always like thought Twitter was such a cool uh, platform for just these bite-sized nuggets and characters you could create. And at the time, Elon, you know, real Elon was really growing in prominence, and uh, it just struck me as a really interesting real person to satirize. And um, I, I I sort of channeled him, and then combined him with the idea of. Hank Scorpio, uh, a one-time character on The Simpsons who was kind of like a really friendly Bond villain. Um, and then on a lark, just created the account and and just, you know, basically uh, was really consistent, put out ideas and inventions and all sorts of silly things that Elon presumably would be thinking about uh, in his downtime. And, uh, and 10 years later, grew it to, you know, 1.7 million followers. And I really kept in character, I'd say for the first seven or eight years, just because people really appreciated that. And it, it didn't hurt that, that real Elon, um, you know, was rising in prominence as well. Uh, significantly, I certainly would not have predicted that the platform that I built this following on would have, uh, would now be owned by the, by the guy I was parodying. That's, that's just like a <laughs> weird, weird timeline, but, um, yeah, here, here we are. So that, so that's sort of the, the character, right. And I've, I've remained pseudonymous, um, the entire time. I, it's not necessarily cause I, I'm, I'm a full like decentralization an anon maxi or anything, but I just think for the character, it's more fun, uh, if nobody knows who it is. And so I'm going to continue to maintain that, uh, that privacy, uh, as long as I can, and um, in the real world, um, you know, just to give a few tidbits, uh, you can probably tell that I'm an American. Um, I, I spent a lot of my, my my real world career in the video game industry, um, on the more on the business side, um, helping launch some really storied franchises and and bringing hardware and software to, to market, um, and also developed two games myself, tabletop games that I designed and published uh, via Kickstarter. So 
I've got some game dev experience and uh, and some uh, you know game marketing experience, and all that translated to two years ago launching my own company, uh, leaving you know the corporate world of, of of the video game industry and launching my own company called Boardbox, which is really focused on on blockchain gaming and the future of gaming, in particular people you know owning their their game assets. So that's that's the very quick overview. Lots of interesting weird shit has happened along the way. Uh, we can talk about some of that, but. Um, yeah, that's 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 me and the two versions of me uh, that I'll talk about today. Yeah, I love it. I love it, and it's 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 quite interesting this non-doxed lifestyle that that's on Twitter, and especially that that was uh, you know prevalent in the first year, second year of the NFT and Web three space. Like twenty twenty one was year of the doxed founder, year you know the year of the doc like non-doxed team. And then 2022 was like, you know, the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, everybody started like doxing. Like it was like it, it, people kept setting these like social trends on Twitter where the founders would be like, okay, now I'm this person. And I almost think that, and you tell me if I'm wrong and like, maybe it's the same thing. I think people don't dox because I think most people are super judgmental about age, um, about basically age and appearance, right? I think a lot of, and this is just, again, my opinion. So take it with a grain of salt. I think there's a lot of people out there that won't dox because a lot of people wouldn't trust them because they're too young. They feel like they're not a seasoned operator. And and on the other side of the spectrum, a lot of people wouldn't accept users into the space because of their age. Right. So it's almost like you're a boomer if you're over like 25, right. Or if you're over, like if you're 30, that's it, you're over the hill and you're all washed up. Like, what are your thoughts on that part? I think that could be true for a lot of people. I think for for people who are younger, uh, especially those who are you know raising a bunch of money and managing a large project or, or company, there's definitely um, that issue. So I I think that if you're super smart and you can handle things without a lot of experience uh, and wisdom, you know, from just years of grinding away, right? Um, it's it's an opportunity for sure to just prove yourself on merit. Um, I don't think there's a lot of examples of that, to be honest with you. Um, but but it's but it's one option. On the flip side, you know, kind of the the boomer status, that's a thing too, right? Like, sure. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who have revealed themselves, who have done what I have done. Um, you know, had this sort of pseudonymous account or an anonymous account, and then you're like, ah, it's just kind of a nerdy old dude, um, and that's a letdown, right? So <laughs> I. I, I, I Oh, did we lose him? Relevant. Hey, we lost you. We lost you there for a second. You still there? Sorry about that. Um, You can hear me now. Yeah, I can hear you now. So, I mean, I I think those are, those are a couple of reasons for me that, that never really entered the equation. Um, I just don't, I, I think there's a little bit of ego, honestly, that people have where they want the notoriety. They want the, the little bit of fame that gets attached to their real selves. Yeah. And I just don't care about that. And I don't, I don't think I ever want it. Like if, if, if all goes to plan, I'm going to will this account to my, to my kids and they can, they can run it. I, I just don't, That's I don't so have cool. any interest. Yeah. I don't have any interest in people knowing who I am or my background. Um, and I, I think I'm a pretty impressive person in real life, but it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't, like it's not additive to this character. It's not additive to the work that I do. I can talk about things I've done in the real world, but you knowing my government ID or you know, change that. my family yeah. or something, it's like, it's not relevant. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to keep this going. I've, I mean, I've hired, um, 
people who are pretty deep in cybersecurity and just basically task them with like, go, go figure it out. I'm not going to tell you anything about me. Try to figure out who I am. And no one's been able to crack it yet. And wow. I think part of it, yeah, cool. I think part of it is just that um, I, I treat people with respect. I don't cause a lot of chaos online. And then I'm not putting a target on my back for people to try to do that. And I hope that, you know, people respect that and honor it. And I think as long as I behave the way I do, uh, I'll be able to, to protect the ID. And, and I definitely encourage other people to, to play with this idea of you can have, you know, another identity on the Internet that is completely separate from your your real world one, especially if you want to get into something that you aren't expected to do. I always I always use the example of, um, you know, imagine you're an, an accountant day to day but you really like want to get into, you know, playing music, you learn the guitar, you're super good. People are going to just kind of judge you. Like you're going to be the dorky accountant. You're not going to be the the person someone respects is actually a really amazing guitar player because you have that prejudice that comes along with your real world identity. But, you know, we live in a world now where you can partition your identities and really just focus on the, uh, the thoughts and the talents that you have and bring those to the equation. So I, I think everybody should experiment with this kind of stuff. And I think in the future, more people will. Yeah, I don't disagree. I actually think it's really genius what you're doing. I think people who dox, like you said, I think it is ego, but I also think it's, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they have a big giant community and people are like, who is this guy? Really? Who is this? Who is the founder? Really? And it's like, once you, once you like tell them, it's like, it is an ego kind of driven thing, but it's also like just, I think they also just want to know eventually. And, you know, once they're, they've proven themselves, like they don't have to worry about like judgment or anything like that. Like uh, D gods is a great example. And Utes, like Frank came out and I don't think people would have trusted him. No, like, again, no, no, uh, no salt on the wound there. Like he, I just don't think people would have bought into that project knowing he was like a 22, 23 year old kid. Like, and you know, maybe not, you know, obviously the investors probably knew who he was and all that stuff. For he's sure. A, he's yeah. a very, I mean, yeah, he's a very, don't get me wrong. He's, he's actually quite accomplished at 23 even. So, uh, you know, like he definitely proved himself in this space for sure. He, he gets it. So, um, yeah. And it's, I don't know, to me, I feel like it's an unwarranted feeling. If you look at Silicon Valley for the last 20 years, there's plenty of people oh, yeah. who are really young and became billionaires. So I, I don't think people should have this chip on their shoulder. I, I do suspect in certain cases, if people raise a lot of money from venture capital, um, they probably are pushed to reveal themselves yep. for a variety of reasons. But I, I think that, um, you know, in his case, yeah, it, it, it might not have been as easy for him to build the community that he did if he had revealed himself earlier. Um, my my son, my slight disappointment in, in people like him, constructive feedback, sure. um, is that I, I wish they, they had held out a little bit longer. It's just, um, you know, if you go a, a year and then you kind of reveal yourself to me, it doesn't feel like you really put in the effort. <laughs> to like, why, why did you even bother to do it? Um, Valid. Uh, so I, I, I like to see, I'd like to see more, more pseudonymous identities that have gone, you know, five, 10 years, um, keeping it up. Because then you've built a reputation that people trust that's not relevant to your real world identity. And there's there's very few examples of that. I'd like to, you know, be one of those examples uh, and encourage other people to do the same. Yeah. And again, your platform, your your board Elon isn't really I mean, it is you, you know, partially, but it, it's more of a platform, you know, like it's a marketing tool, it's reach, it's an audience, and that's the thing you're using it for to get ideas across and to drive, you know, anybody that wants to follow you and your thoughts and the way you're doing things 
like it's it is almost separate from like who you are your platform is you know you but it's also you know reach it's your audience so it, that that's the value i see so it's definitely smart my man and it's really not that much different than any so like any celebrity who has a social media account is playing a character right absolutely like kim kardashian on instagram is not kim kardashian uh, with her friends in a, at, a, at a restaurant that's private, what you say, what you do, how you act, how you portray yourself. The only difference is that she uses her face and, um, you know, the mask of a, of a, of a photo filter. And I have the mask of a green floating head, but ultimately <laughs> we're doing the same exact thing. Yeah. And I noticed your green floating head and I don't want to go off topic a little bit here, but what, what made you change it with the little, there's some, a little, a couple extra designs there. Is that Ford Elon getting be- beaten up a little <laughs> I, bit. I did it temporarily <laughs> to support my buddy Jack Butcher with his ah. uh, open Opepin uh, project. Um, although I have to say it's super frustrating. I had a check mark and then uh, you know I changed my PFP and lost it, and now I'm waiting like a week to get it reviewed. And it's kind of it's kind of frustrating. Like I'm a paying user of this site, and if I weren't, I could actually change my PFP faster um, than I can now. So right. that's true. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to switch it back just because the green, the green head has become pretty iconic and I don't want people to get confused or think I'm a fake, a fake boardie. So. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I, I could definitely tell it right away that, that it's definitely you. So, uh, that's interesting, man. That's uh, I, I didn't know how long it took Twitter to switch back. So it is definitely a week in review. Is that how long it's taken so far? Or? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been a week so far and nothing. So, Ouch. um, hopefully they don't just, uh, decline me, uh, you know, me from getting a check mark for whatever reason. I don't think that'll be the case, but, um, yeah, I've heard it, it can take up to a month. Oh, it's brutal. Yeah. I've known some people that it took like three or four weeks for as, as well, for sure. And then there's some people that it took like three days for, or even 24 hours. So that's actually a good and a bad thing. I think it has to do with your follower base. Like if you have a big following count, you know, kind of thing. So with that said, man, like, what are you like, tell us more about like, like board, let's tell us more about board box and like, tell us how that, what problem that's actually that that's kind of solving right now. Yeah. So at a very high level, if you've never heard of it, uh, we're a matchmaking service between game studios and players. So the fundamental issue for anybody who, you know, has gone through the process of, um, obtaining game items for, for, for web three games for blockchain games is the shopping experience is terrible, right? It's like going on Definitely. eBay. Um, it's built for people who want to trade and not for people who want to play. But if you're actually a, a gamer, you know, you, you're you used to something like Steam or the Epic Game Store or the Nintendo eShop, uh, Xbox. Um, there's a very specific way for you to discover and, and to buy games. That is not something that exists, uh, in my opinion, in, in Web3, which is a shame because Right now, it's it's a little hard for 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 games to for game studios to find players, um, you know, to buy their assets to try their games out um, because the entire system is just built for trading. So so we're working with lots and lots of game studios to help get them qualified players. These are people who want to be part of the board box, uh, you know, membership community, um, and basically who are raising their hands and saying, "Yeah, I want to I want to play games. I want to own the assets within the games that I play." And so we launched uh, last year as kind of a bundle model where we would do these drops and we would basically handpick cool games that we thought were worth paying attention to. Uh, anybody with a, with a board box would get the, those game assets. And then we did lots of giveaways um, of future games um, to, to people who are holders. We're shifting the model, though. Um, 
right now and really leaning more into this idea of, of the storefront, um, which is basically we're going to list specific games. We're going to give you details on those games um, and vet them and make sure that you're not just shopping through an endless you know sea of, of listings, again, like eBay, but rather like you're having a real store experience where you know what you're buying is real. You know that it's recommended by us. Um, and hopefully you're getting it for a better price than you would on a trading platform. So that's, that's all underway. Uh, I will say that the, the entry point when we first launched was pretty, pretty high. Uh, we sold our original boxes for one ETH each. Um, so it, it started at the high end, but it's very important now that we're expanding to be you know, accessible to everybody. So anybody can go to boardbox.io and create an account and start accumulating what we call boredom points. And those points are going to be basically what people can use to obtain the game items that we're going to list in our store. That is, that is really interesting. I, I think the NFT space, the Web3 space, has a big issue with curation. I think it's a big problem across the board because, you know, these are fi- they're also considered financial instruments. So it's almost like, hey, if you choose, if you write an article or you have a platform that, like, shows you what, what you should be checking out and things like that, it's, it almost might be financial advice. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not really sure how that works but it seems like it. But in your case, you're curating basically games that you think are great. And because you're such a trusted voice in the gaming space, which you definitely are, the, one of the most trusted voices, especially in the Web3 gaming space, do you think that's where, that's where it really is lacking, the Web3 space, is like curation, things like that? Yeah, 100%. Today, if you want to learn about a game, uh, you might get that from you know a, sw- a Twitch streamer, a YouTuber. You might hear it from a friend. You might occasionally see an ad, although most people don't really see ads for video games anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you might read IGN or Kotaku, one of those sites as well. Read reviews. It is definitely missing because what you what you get when you search YouTube, for example, for you know blockchain game or Web three game, are a bunch of jokers talking about. Uh, this game is going to moon, the assets are going to be super valuable, blah, 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 blah. These are not things that are interesting to somebody who wants to play a fun game. Um, and so in our case, yeah, we're, we're making, we're doing the research so that people can just take more time to play. And to be very clear, like we're not recommending games because of the financial, you know, windfall anyone is going to get. We're recommending games because they're fun. Um, and, and we're going to continue to just, you know, beat that drum because we don't want anybody to think that, you know, if, if a game appears on, on Boardbox, that means that you're going to be able to sell the assets for, for more money. If, if we recommend a game, uh, and you play it and you enjoy it, then, then that's a win. Like that's, that's the purpose of our, of our company. And every, every business in web three needs to have a purpose outside of number goes up. That's not actually a business, right? That's just speculation, um, but for all of this to expand to to normies and to accumulate millions and millions of users, you need to mirror uh, how business works in the real world, which is that there's actual utility uh, beyond it just being a, a, a you know an asset that can be traded. So yeah, fundamentally, we're we're putting ourselves out there and saying we're going to do the meetings with the game studios, we're going to do the demos, we're going to vet the founders, and hopefully most of the games that we recommend. Um, are good. It doesn't mean they're all going to succeed. Like it's hard to run a game studio. Some of them might fail, but the worst thing would be is that we recommend a game that ends up being just a straight up rug pull that that has never happened. Um, and I, and I hope it never does because I don't want, you know, to put my reputation on the line to vouch for someone who was not, you know, did not come into the space with, with good intentions. Again, like if you fail, 
uh, under honest conditions, that's understandable. But yeah, um, yeah, definitely want to see, want to position ourselves and, and myself as an educator and a, a tastemaker in the gaming space. Yeah. And I think that's interesting that you brought that up, like rug pull and, and scam and all these words are like, I think they're like way overused in this space anyway. If a, if a game, let's just say a game's trying to raise money to actually build a game and they fail at it, that's called a company that just didn't they didn't complete the job because they just couldn't complete the job. They, they overestimated, they underestimated, they hired the wrong team. The team kind of imploded, which by the way, happens a lot. Teams implode. You know what I mean? Like companies run out of money, companies like hire too fast, like all that stuff happens. And these are companies you're investing in, right? At the end of the day, these are retail entry points for investors that never existed before NFTs. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is the idea of why there's so much concern um, over non-accredited investors getting into this space Yeah, because they don't, they don't understand the fundamental reality that most businesses do fail within two years. So like, the, so the, the, and, and that doesn't mean they're rug pulls. It just means they failed. It's really hard to do it. Um, anybody who's, you know, run a business um, knows this. So uh, yeah, I, I think those 100%. labels get unfairly attached for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I could give you a, a solid example. Let's just pretend there's like some in real world thing going on. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits, like the business that was doing in real world things like has no more business. They ha either have to pivot to online or they don't have a revenue stream anymore. So to, to make this, to make it short, like you probably should be building like multiple revenue streams right away so that when disaster kind of hits those things like work out the best thing about what we're doing here is that we're all online everything we're doing is on the internet so it doesn't matter if there's like a pandemic or something like that that happens actually that's good for business people are you know indoors and it's they're ready to play games and i think playing games is like such an important thing i'm a big gamer i've been a gamer um, since i was literally as soon as games came out like Man, I played all of them. I even built my own first game like at 11 years old. It was very rudimentary, but man, what a, it's such a great space. Like gaming is such a great space and curation in gaming, especially in the Web3 space, is so critical. It's really, really important because there's a lot of bad games. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's also a lot of bad games in the Web2 space. Just they're not good. And I mean, yeah, 95% of games in the app store get played by like a hundred people or less. And yeah. So hundred percent. Yeah. And, and the thing about gaming today is that, um, it's, it's permanent, right? Like every single game that has existed in history now can be played. And so every day there's more and more games for, to take your attention. And, you know, people play old games too, like age of empires two, 20 years later still has like a hundred thousand daily players. It's crazy. So yeah, curation is super important because, um, the, the battle for attention and gaming is, is constant. Um, and like myself, you know, as a player, I can only dedicate maybe an hour, you know, or two hours max per day to playing. And so when I get recommendations, it means a lot to me because I don't have time to sort through and spend another hour or two trying to find the next game to play. And I, I value that, like that focus that someone can give me. Yeah. Do you have a method of like vetting games? I'd really want to know, like, cause I know there's, there's so many games out there. Are there people that are like running through, like, do you have like a couple of people like running through games first for you? And then like, you know, kind of like skimming the cream of the crop off the top and then handing over like, here's, here's like the 10 games that stood out for me. You should probably check them out. Or do you do, you do it yeah, yourself? I mean, honestly, it's it's a, I, I follow about a hundred people who constantly source really good information around gaming, yep. and I and I kind of filter through them. And then a lot of it is inbound. Somebody knows me who knows somebody else, and you know they're building a new game studio, and they recommend 
we have a chat and then we meet with them. Um, but as we scale, uh, yeah, I'm going to need some, <laughs> going to need some interns who can basically spend the day, you know, trying and, and vetting games, which is, you know, probably a cool job. What a horrible job to play games yeah. all day. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a great job. Where do I sign up? I'm just kidding. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. So are, do you prefer certain like types of games? Like, is there a game like that you're actually looking for? Like, like, would you rather one built on unity? Would you rather one built in unreal? Is there like an engine that you actually are more like happy with like casual versus, you know what I mean? Like first person shoot them type games. Like what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, everyone's game profile kind of changes over time. Yeah, um, sure does. I think that, I think for me as somebody who, you know, as I, as I get older and have like, you know, responsibilities and stuff in life, um, <laughs> I like games that can be played on the go. So like, for example, my, my, most of my gameplay takes place either on my steam deck on a switch or on my phone. Oh, so I can, you know, nice. I can kind of do it from anywhere. Um, and then in terms of genres, I, I'm, I'm less interested now in sort of Twitch reflex games, uh, like first person shooters. Cause I'm now slow compared to like 19 year olds on Adderall who are really fast. Um, <laughs> and I'm more into strategy. So lean more to strategy. So that'll be like turn-based, tactics games if anyone ever played like advanced wars or war group uh mario versus rabbits and i really like tcgs ccgs uh, i've been playing a lot of marvel snap i used to play a lot of hearthstone so i definitely lean towards kind of strategy and decision based games um yeah versus ones that you know are are really um based on on reflexes i used to really love um role-playing games jrpgs that took you know 100 plus hours to beat and it's just tough to get back to those types of games. Like I don't, I don't like playing a game like that and then waiting two or three weeks cause I'm busy and then jumping back into it. Like the last really long game I played was um, breath of the wild, the, the latest Zelda game. Oh, um, but it's Zelda's. a bit <laughs> so good. Yeah. But yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the technology you mentioned, what engine it's on. Yeah. It doesn't really necessarily matter. I, I, I really think about genre than platform. Um, and, and that's what, what helps me make my decisions. Right. And Unity, uh, you know, before Unity was kind of a little bit of a mixed bag, but now it's like it's definitely matured and come into its own a long time ago. So Unity and, and Unreal are kind of, you know, again, I always think of Unity for some reason. And I always think like casual, um, you know, like social casual games. And obviously it's not the case anymore. And same thing with like Unreal. I always think of like AAA like some sick game on your, you basically your, your desktop or some sick game on like a console somewhere. So I know. Yeah. No, they're, they're both very sophisticated now. Um, yeah. and they're, they're the kind of the two biggest players in the space. Yeah. There's no doubt. Unity is kind of easy to build on. Obviously. So is unreal. Cause I mean like most of these metaverses are actually built in unreal. So definitely interesting stuff. So I'm going to ask you a couple of other questions here. It's going to be, what do you think the, the, Obviously, like who are the who are the top people? Would you say in the in the Web three game space right now? Like, obviously, you're one of them. Let's say, can you name like four other people possibly in the space that are that are actually doing crazy things in the space right now? Like, or is there literally not that many people in the space? Yeah, I mean, honest answer: there's not that many people. I, I think that <laughs> from a, from a content creator a standpoint, feeling. it's very minimal, right? So, like, you're not seeing a lot of Twitch and YouTube people. Um, who are, who are producing content in the space. I think you have a, a handful of people that have developed um, an affinity to Web3 gaming, and I can name a few, um, you know, Jonah Blake. Yep. Uh, Bryson, I know Jonah. Yep, Jonah's great yeah, people. Um, Sobe. And then, of course, all the people who are building games themselves um, are, are starting to grow in stature. But, 
but no, there's not a lot. And I mean, that's, that's also an opportunity, right? Like that's, that's an opportunity for someone like myself to, um, become synonymous with, with web three gaming as it is for, for those other people that I mentioned. And, and our goal and my goal is that we're building this affinity now so that in 2024 and beyond, when the bigger traditional video game companies like Activision and Epic and EA finally decide to pull the trigger and get into the space, they'll want to work with someone like me um, to bridge the, the the audience that they have uh, with with that with, with the one that is comfortable with with crypto and blockchain technology. So like that's that's the goal. But in, but we've got some steps to jump through or steps to take you know before that happens. But I, I think that is a very legitimate kind of goal for, for, for my company to aspire to. Yeah, I agree. That's a great goal. Um, who, and when you just brought it up, it's a perfect segue. Like, who do you think entering the space, which, which company entering the space would be like signal, okay, game over. The space is going to mature really fast because these people are just entered the, the web three gaming space. Yeah. Well, I would say once Epic does it, and I think they will be one of the bigger ones to do it. Um, it will be the, the clear signal because they are already building with the mindset of um, crossplay, you know, metaverse type 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 gaming, right? Like Fortnite is a metaverse, um, and so in in some ways, um, and so I I think once they do it, especially given that you know they they have Unreal Engine, um, it makes a lot of sense. Now I don't know how decentralized it might be. It might be sort of like <laughs> Epic's going to go you know and build their own thing and let you own your assets, but you can only trade them on the Epic system. Which is still cool. I still think that's awesome. Um, but I think I think that's going to be a game changer, especially in the United States. What I will say is that I talked to a lot of game companies in uh, Japan and South Korea, and they are way ahead. And 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 even the bigger companies like Square Enix uh, and Sega and many others are 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 much further down in sort of testing this this technology, investing in this technology. And generally speaking, historically speaking, the Asian markets have been um, further ahead in, in evolving tech for video games. So I think that they're going to move faster and we'll see that stuff roll out um, probably, you know, end of this year. Um, but in the United States, yeah, I think Epic's going to be the the line in the sand. That's great. Who would be, who's going to be the top signal though? Like as in like, okay, we, we're going through a cycle of Web3 gaming. Is there like a top signal and you're like, okay, it's going to go up really high in price. Everybody's going to start paying for like game assets and then all of a sudden it's going to come, come back down. Is there like a top signal, like a Jim Cramer, of web three gaming. Hmm. Sorry, Jim Cramer, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, part of me, part of me feels like that happened already yeah, right, last I, I, year. I think you're right. <clears throat> so yep. yeah, we, we kind of went through that, that ugly period where people prematurely, I don't want to say they overvalued it, but they prematurely overvalued it. Um, and now we're, we're back to sort of like the slow and steady growth, um, that eventually will hockey stick up once, there's a serious collection of, of games that are available and, and that's what's missing. And I think that while that is frustrating, anybody who has um, stuck with a, with a company that has launched a new console, for example, knows that when a console is brand new, like when a platform is brand new, there's not many games for it. You know, when, when the PS five launched, there were like two or three games available, same for the switch. It takes a year or two for you to have a couple hundred games. And then in terms of quality games, it takes a while. So um, that's, that's kind of where we're at, right? We're waiting for, for that library to build a lot of really quality game studios that are, are entering web three only started last year and they're building games that typically take two or three years. Um, and so patience is key. And again, that's where it's important that, you know, on our end, we're, we're trying to find the people who are players and people who appreciate gaming 
and not the traders because a trader does not want to wait two years uh, for their you know investment to uh, to mature. They want they want their 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 JPEG to have utility immediately, and game a game is not going to be what you know what exists in terms of utility for those people. So I don't want those people to be members of Boardbox. Um, I like those people. I am sometimes that person. But that's not the company that we're we're trying to build. Um, and so, yeah, people who fundamentally understand that a good game takes time is the type of person we we love to you know welcome into our community. Yeah, that sounds sounds about right. I'm gonna ask you one more question for some fun here, and then I'm gonna take questions from uh, you know Adam, Brad, and like Ruben over here. So, last question to you is: If you were stuck on a desert island right now, like three between three and five years, what three games? would you be stuck on that Island with for the three year season? You're stuck there until you get rescued three games. Are these, are these video games? And I'm presuming that I have uh, electricity any, to charge them. Any, game, yep, any, of course <laughs> you can't play video games without the, uh, the video part. So there's no yeah. question about it. You have three games, you have unlimited power, solar powers all hooked up. You're good to go. You have a really sweet flat screen TV, a nice cave to like chill in stuff like that. You're stuck on this island. What three games? Doesn't matter. What, the what's the uplink and downlink like? Uh, <laughs> don't worry about it. So think, go ahead, board. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we're gonna do Age of Empires two. Um, we're gonna do Rocket League. Just a quick ten to fifteen minute competition. That's easy. Um, and then the last one. Man, I'm gonna go with a deck of cards, not even wow. a video game. Yeah, Respect. you could just you could play so many games with a deck of cards. Holy a deck cow! Deck of cards is always where I go for meditation, just to like think of like brainstorm a new game that doesn't exist. Wow. Um, but just in case the power goes down, you want to have a backup. That is play. genius, man! You just threw me an audible. I was not ready for a deck of cards, but mad respect, man. You always, you always do come with the uh, the audibles and great, <laughs> great decision points. All right, I'm going to go with some questions. Brad first, I'm going to go with Adam second, and then Ruben third. Go ahead, Brad. Yay, dude. So um, you brought up Fortnite, which is interesting because like, right now there's a lot of major brands that are trying to enter the Web3 space, and they're seeing gaming as kind of one of those possible um, entry points. Uh, and they're looking primarily at Fortnite because of their experience with outside kind of uh, collaborations and things like that. And they're looking a lot at, uh, um, what is it, Roblox because of the regulations around age-gating content and having age-gated, you know, experiences that are available to everybody. Um, I guess my question to you, maybe you can lend some insight because, you know, um, we are slowly shifting away, you know, from the mentality that existed, you know, a year ago where it was essentially like, if you're a gamer, you have to hate NFTs. You know, it's just like there was no... There was no middle ground. You talk to any gamer, they're like, oh, I'm not, you know, pay to play, like all that stuff, you know, the, primarily due to, you know, misunderstanding or poor communication or whatever. Um, as that's shifting now, um, and there's starting to be more acceptance of Web3 in gaming, um, do you think that there's, you know, is there kind of like an old guard kind of mentality at some of these major game studios that are still being reluctant to Web3? Or is the culture in, I guess we can call it Web 2 or traditional video gaming, is that culture starting to shift to be more accepting of Web 3 activations, at, you know, at the, I guess, decision making level of the companies? Yeah, I, I think that um, there's there's a misconception, in my opinion, that gaming companies uh, fear the wrath of their players 
because there's been such a, a a negative outcry from a vocal minority about about NFTs and Web3. Um, but traditionally, at least based on my, you know, working in the industry, most game companies don't really care that much about people crying and moaning um, online about, you know, technology. <laughs> they care about making sure that they preserve their profits, right? And so I think that they're tiptoeing around this technology because they don't necessarily want to cannibalize their very strong business. And what I mean by that is the current model is uh, I'm a game company. I have a game. It's really successful. I produce digital game items like skins and weapons and whatever. And then people buy them and they transfer the money to me. And that's a really good business. Um, now with Web3, I'm competing with other people who are also selling stuff that they own to the same people who are just buying from me. So yeah, I mean, you baby can make some money off the transaction fees and, and that becomes a bigger business down the road. But making that jump from me selling you digital goods one way, only one way, to me selling you digital goods and then you maybe buying it from other people instead is an issue. And if you think back to like GameStop, game companies did not really like GameStop. Um, in fact, when everything went digital and game company er, and players were able to just buy games directly from the game studio and download them one time, that was awesome because in, instead of going to GameStop and maybe buying a used game and having your attention be swayed by that used game where the game company makes no money on the after sale, um, you're, you're just buying it directly from the, from the studio. So I think that's the real hesitation is like there is just a nice gravy train of making money right now, especially post-pandemic and during the pandemic, people were bored playing a lot of video games. And there's just not a strong incentive to open this up to creating marketplaces inside of games. And you even see it with Steam. I mean, like, yeah, they sort of let people trade, you know, weapons in like games like Counter-Strike and whatnot, but they often shut it down and they regulate it and they stop it. So I I just think that until they feel like the um, like having a marketplace and, and just taking a cut of transactions between players is going to be a strong enough business to outweigh the current model, um, they're not going to rush to to make this kind of a shift. Interesting. All right, Adam, go ahead, my man. You were next. Yeah. Good. Welcome interested. to the stage. Welcome to the stage. Thanks, brother. brother. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. And I'm interested about this, the Fortnite thing, because I've been, <laughs> it might be complete foolishness, but um, I, with my kid, we've been acquiring uh, old Fortnite skins over the last year, buying old accounts um, with this in mind. And, and this is literally the, the probably the most degen thing I've ever done in my life. Like it could be, absolutely million percent worthless um but basically what we're doing is we're buying old accounts with like old skins and stuff which i know is completely against fortnite rules and they could rug those accounts at any point in time but do you think there's any possibility am i completely misguided or is there any possibility at some point in time fortnite actually makes those nfts and allows those to trade uh like freely G give me the give me the download tell me that i'm i'm an idiot and i need to uh write those off immediately uh, I think you're, I don't think it's ever going to just be like greenlit. Um, because it, it, I think that it creates risk for the company to just outwardly, uh, condone that and that they're probably mandated by regulators to not allow it. They allow it if it's small enough and it's just hard to, you know, kind of track it and, and control it. But I, I think if I were you, I would, um, try to offload those things as soon as possible and, um, and not bank on them, you know, being worth a lot 
a couple I, years. I, I can't offload them because my kid loves using them because he wins <laughs> all like the dance offs or whatever the hell he does. I don't even know because he's got these super old skins and he wins all the uh, the dance competitions he enters. So unfortunately, I think I'm stuck with them. It's all good though. <laughs> well, you've already paid off the investment because your your kid's happy. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> I love that. I love the way you look at it. That was pretty funny. Go ahead, Ruben, man. I see your hand up. How's it going, buddy? Uh, give it a seven. Seven out of ten, give or take. We'll see. Bad have a coffee. Might make it an eight. Um, hey, so a couple questions. I'm going to cheat. Um, first question is about like eight billion humans, right? And about four and a half million have access to the internet. And correct me if I'm wrong, about three billion of the four and a half billion uh, play games. So it seems like uh, most of the internet is in game land. Um, if one were to try to sort of back into the total addressable market of gaming, which is a weird thing to try to do, um, my instinct is to like look at session length on games. Do you, and, and, and if you think about that, do you think the sort of average person, the average gamer, is playing more games uh, more frequently for longer session times or less session length times, like if you try to sort of quantify the behavior of gaming um, today versus five years ago versus 10 years ago, what are the sort of metrics that one might look at for trying to figure out on the, on the macro level, the behavioral shifts and the behavioral inertia of gaming? Because, and, and my, my personal theory is that more people are playing more games more of the time as a rule and that, that some of that is translating to shorter session lengths uh, across more games rather than super long session lengths on, like, a couple of games. Um, but I have no way to prove that because I don't know what data repository to, like, scrape to figure that out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's hard because, you know, there's so many variables. There's devices change. People are playing on, on more in more places. There's literally different amount of humans on Earth than five years ago. Um, so... For me, I, I try to keep it simple, especially if you're thinking about it from a business perspective. Um, I care about how much money is spent um, on gaming, right? Because I don't like if you're a game studio, you don't really care if somebody plays your game for 100 hours a month, but they spend zero dollars. Like that's actually costing you money as a as a studio. Um, I think that if if you're in the Web three blockchain gaming space, I think it's um, uh, naive to compare directly to the global gaming market. Um, but I think a comparison that is valid is look at the global spend on in-game purchases. So, for example, in 2022, um, $65 billion was spent on buying items inside of games. I think that that's a much closer, um, you know, kind of comp uh, to what you could see in, in Web3. And if you took a slice of that, let's just say it's, you know, 20% of that, $10, 11000000000 billion, whatever. If you're going after that market, that spend... Um, of people who, you know, actively are purchasing virtual objects that do not exist except as an emotional connection on a screen. Um, that's, that's a real market to go after. That's a serious business. Um, to me, that's, I, I think if you're, if you're in the, if you're in the business of, of, you know, blockchain games, web three games, the in-game item purchases are what you look at. And that, that's at least what I think is most relevant as I'm thinking about, you know, growing our, our business. So you take out the um, ad-supported models entirely for that, for example. Yeah. So, like in that case, um, you, like user acquisition is a is a very important uh, part of of gaming today. Um, people spend about ten or eleven billion uh, on that, uh, especially in, in in mobile gaming. So, 
Um, I think user acquisition is likely going to change the traditional model of like, you know, paying paying uh, for media to drive players is is dying. And you're seeing that, especially in the last year with all the changes to uh, that Apple has made and, you know, to its advertising policies. So so a company like ours, for example, we're we're promising a new form of, of user acquisition. We're building a community of players. Uh, if you're a game and you're trying to find players and you can't and you can't spend money on Facebook or Twitter or Apple because you're blocked uh, or the or your player base doesn't care. Um, you know, we're an option. And so, yeah, again, so yeah, I, I think to like kind of round up the question, I would look at the the, the spend uh, on, on in-game assets. And then I would also look at how much uh, companies are spending on in-game ID- or on, on user acquisition. And those are two good data points uh, in terms of kind of selling your own, you know, business um, and, and showing the total addressable market is significant. Copy that. Uh, and then the second question was, um, this comes back to Epic, right? Um, powerful proprietary platforms. Uh, one thing that I really liked about um, this game called Gary's Mod um, is that it made it really easy for people to create their own games, um, similar to the way that Minecraft did, uh, where you know it has a you know it has a boss and has a th- uh, you know it has a you know, first-person user experience, but that's not really what people used it for, right? They kind of went all over the show when you sort of allowed for that um, optionality and, um, you know, tooling to the individual. Uh, do you think, like, one of the cool things to me about Web3 land is the peer-to-peer aspect and how, because everything, you know, outside of you know, Monero or Zcash or something is, you know, public, a lot of things that might have historically been an application can now be replaced with a protocol, uh, which is which means that you know we're going from sort of closed data sets with vertical technology sitting on top of those closed data sets to sort of open data sets where, where the technology is kind of more horizontal. Because if I don't like the way that this particular marketplace is showing me this data or this particular application, I can just write my own. And because of the data is out there, well, I can. There's no one stopping me from sort of creating a layer on that, right? And so when I think about assets uh, in gaming functions, how long, um, or I guess if, if at all, how long do you think it'll be before I can take Mario out of Super Mario uh, and put him somewhere else and bring um, bring some of the variables and values associated with that character with them? Because to me that would require... Uh, an asset uh, architecture that says, okay, well, here's Mario. He's got a hat, he's got two legs, et cetera, et cetera. But for that not to be on a private database, but to be on a public database, which might sort of clone that asset as I came into the game and then add some game-specific variables, and then I go to some other game, and then, you know, that game chooses which variables to interpret. To Well, well we see you got pink shorts, but we don't really have shorts here, so we gave you some hot pants kind of thing, right? Right? So you sort of have maintained that player game architect uh, dynamic. Otherwise, everybody has God mode, which breaks all the games. But like, I don't see any incentive for an Epic or for a Microsoft or for any sort of major sort of tier one to adopt a system where these standards that are underlying allow for people to travel across worlds. I don't, I don't see them wanting passports at all, actually. Um, so do you? So if we see that, 
do you think that's going to come from a sort of traditional platform or traditional corporation, or do you think it's going to come through the things like our friends over at Gary's Mod, where they said, look, here's the tools, and if you want to make a new game, make a new game, and you can choose which standards you want to adopt, um, and then people vote with their feet kind of thing. That was a very long and complicated question, and it has a very long and complicated answer. Um, awesome. I am going to write a blog post about it soon. I'm, I'm thinking about this topic uh, in the framework of um, immortal interactive intellectual property. Um, and I will mm. share that. But there is no way. I, the short answer is no. The old companies will not do this. They have no incentive to do it. Their IP is very valuable, and they do not want other people to be able to mess with it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm still thinking through this idea, uh, and it, it, it is very hard to succinctly talk about it. So I, I think we have to go on to the next question. Fair enough. I think that's fair. Yeah, go, yeah, ahead. go ahead, Brad. You're, you're, you're the next one in the, the question queue here. For, for sure, dude. So like, what's interesting to me is like, you know, it's, there's a couple of ways to look at like, you know, essentially blockchain technology integration with gaming, you know, um, from like a real basic, like just auth certificate type idea or digital download codes, things like that, that could be delivered to a wallet address. Um, or with like the asset idea, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Bungie, you know, and Halo, but like Bungie, um, now is doing the destiny, you know, franchise and what destiny is doing and Bungie's doing is they actually like just very web two ask, I assume, I don't know exactly what their backend infra is, but like you play your game that's linked to your Bungie account, you play destiny. And then on their store, there's only there's merch that you can buy only if you complete these quests. And if you complete these different activities in the game linked to your account, it allows you to buy this merch that comes as, you know, a banner that's a digital download as well as like an actual physical pin, shirt, patch, you know, whatever you want to do. And, uh, you know, it and off initially kind of it's like, are they do they have their head in the sand? You know, um, because obviously, you know, they're essentially providing digital collectibles, right, with based on in-game activity, um, all done privately through their Bungie, you know, dot your Bungie account. Um, you think that, yeah, like I said, do you think that they have their head in the sand or do you think that maybe there's just a, what would be the reason why they wouldn't make it more efficient utilizing blockchain? if you had to guess. Um, I don't know if it's more efficient, honestly. I mean, I could push back on that, that having it in a centralized database is actually faster and for them it works and maybe it doesn't open them up to regulatory scrutiny. I, I, I think that they don't necessarily want to see Master Chief show up in Fortnite or, you know, another game outside of their walls. So why build it uh, with the intention of it existing on, on open marketplaces? So I, I think, you know, to the previous question, it's going to be new intellectual property that gets created that from the ground up is intended to live in different environments and different worlds and can be accessed by other game studios that will thrive and make this normal. Um, and then maybe if enough of that happens and enough attention goes to that new IP, the older IP will transition their assets uh, and their, you know, their, their characters to being open standards as well. Um, but I don't think that's within the next five years personally. I have a question when it comes to in-game assets like this. So let's say uh, Microsoft decides to put out some game 
for the Xbox and you want to like trim the same game lives in like PlayStation, the same game lives on like all these networks, you know, steam everywhere. Do you actually really believe like Microsoft's going to like release a game and in-game assets so that you can like then traverse them over to these other platforms without like paying for that? Or do you think they're going to put a paywall in between saying, Oh, you want to transfer these over to PlayStation network? Cause I see, that as like, Hey, if you want to transfer these out of their ecosystem and on the PlayStation or onto like steam or wherever they're, they're basically having the game, or you want to transfer assets from one game to another, I can see them wanting to do that because it's, it's a, there's a revenue source there, right? When you transition them over, you can charge people to like, yeah, bring your assets over here. It's going to be, you know, it's just like a DLC map in like call of duty or something like that. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think there'll be a paywall? Cause I think there will be, but I just want to see what you think. I don't think that that scenario will even exist because really? if you're, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, if your X game, if your Xbox Game Pass, they want you to play your game on any device that has That's that theirs. connected. Yeah, so so like the the incentive for for Xbox for Microsoft to let you port stuff to PlayStation is is tiny. Right. Like no matter what they charge, it's not worth the money because right. they want to keep you in their ecosystem. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that's, that's going to be a reality personally. That's interesting. Cause I always thought like maybe though their character, like the, like a gun of the character or like a, like an outfit skin will be able to be transferred if you want to use it in like one of these gir- these, these really cool games and they don't mind doing it. Like I said, I was thinking that maybe they might do this whole omni chain thing as long as you pay to play to do it. Like, because it's just a, you know, it's a skin, like you're just using a skin in another game and it's not that I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but it sounds like it's not going to happen. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, what you have today are these, you know, custom agreements and licensing fees and whatnot. So when, you know, when um, a Final Fantasy character shows up in Super Smash Brothers, that's Square Enix going through lots and lots of negotiations with Nintendo to make sure that that can happen. And right. the character are, are, you know, basically um, retrofitted into a game that they weren't intended for. But that that's all manual work. And that's, that's not porting from one place to another. That's, 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 that's kind of the old and clunky system that we're currently stuck with. Um, but it's very popular. People love the crossover of IP in that sense. So to, to get to the place that you're describing, um, that's likely not going to happen on the existing networks, gaming networks, and, the, and the more, more so will happen in, in the world of Web3, where that type of, um, you know, interoperability, I don't like that word, but is, is more easily kind of done. And again, it's going to be with IP that doesn't have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in value um, that people hold on to for dear life and, and, and don't want to sort of lend out to competitors. Yeah, that makes sense. So what is the future of, of board box and board Elon for the uh, web three gaming space? Like, what do you, what do you plan on doing in the future here? Yeah, I mean, future of, of Boardbox, put simply, is we want people who are interested in buying games to to treat us as their first stop before they go to OpenSea or Magic Eden or any other sort of trading platform. They first check Boardbox um, to make sure that the games that we have um, aren't, you know, basically just make sure like it's the first place you shop or think of. Um, we're on our path towards that uh, with with the evolution of our, of our website and our business uh, and certainly hope to be, you know, dominance by the end of, of this year. Um, and then for me, um, you know, I, I'm sort of the, the friendly advisor, curator, uh, guy who likes to talk about video games and will continue to do that on behalf of the company. Um, I am a co-founder of it. I also do other stuff. It's, it's cool to have sort of different hats and 
be a bit of a renaissance man. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've really kind of um, shifted a lot of the the board Elon personality towards gaming, tech, and crypto. And these are things that I enjoy, like the human behind board Elon enjoys. And I will continue to talk about them. But after, you know, seven or eight years of doing what I think is fun. I don't care about engagement or growing my follower count. I'm good. I'm happy with where things are at. Um, and I'm going to use this platform as I see fit that I enjoy. And I, and I hope that people continue to, you know, connect with me and follow me. Um, and that I bring people happiness. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my favorite statements of, of today so far. You know, that's the idea of all this is like at the end of the day, games are supposed to bring you happiness, supposed to bring you joy, things like that. That, I mean, they were my, they were my thing that actually helped me get through a lot of interesting times of boredom in my life. So, you know, games were really there for me, especially Zelda, especially, you know what I mean? Like the core games, I played a lot of those. So Matt, man, that's really cool. And again, man, thanks for coming on the show today. If anybody has any other questions, this is like the last chance to like ask right now, the people that are up here, any more questions? Otherwise I'm going to do our outro no questions. Okay. So, so I'm going to call shenanigans on Age of Empires 2. Have you played Age of Empires 2 recently, <laughs> my guy? It's a great game. I don't know what you're talking about. I, <laughs> I, I call shenanigans on your shenanigans. Dude, it was okay. a great game. It was yes. a great game. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was Title One, big deal. It's been uh, maybe 100, 200 hours on that bad boy. When was the last time you played Age of Empires 2? Uh, three months ago. There you go, dude. Yeah, he knows what he's talking about. I like the I like the question. I like the shenanigans call out, Ruben. Uh, by the way, it's a pleasure to see you up here, man. I haven't seen you in this like what was that February twenty twenty two at uh, NFT Phoenix. Okay, so Facero, uh, you know it's your go ahead, my man. I just wanted to jump in, seeing as Ruben stirred it up. Um, I, I used to play Age of Empires uh, years ago. And I used to play with my two sons who were quite small at the time. and We'd spent hours playing it. And now they're 20 and 22. Uh, in the last two months, they've revived that. And we now, every now and again, play Age of Empires 2. And it is freaking awesome. All right. There you go. Thanks. There Thanks go. for the validation there, my man. I appreciate that, Facero. Yeah, so good times. With that said... Bored Elon, thanks again for coming on the show. Second time in a row. I hope you'll have you back soon. Like as soon as you want to like come back on the show and talk about what's next for you guys. Like I'd be would love to have you back. As always, you're one of the great one of the greatest guests I've ever had. Um, and you're just a good dude all around, and you definitely know what you're talking about in the gaming space. I can vouch. So once again, man, thanks for thanks for the time. I know you're a busy guy. So thanks for being on the show. And uh any other any last words to the audience? Thank you so much for having me. It's always a great conversation. I love your audience. I love the questions and um, have a great rest of your week, everyone. Yeah. You too, my man. Let's go. Thanks for everybody coming out. Wicked smart. We out. Start it. Start it from the bottom. Now we're here. Start it from the bottom. Now my whole team fucking here. Start it from the bottom. Now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here, nigga, started from the